You've reached Debbie Taplin. Please leave a message after the beep, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Hi, Mom. Uh, Adam and Jake again. We um, saw your flight got diverted to Spokane, hey, so... Hey, come here. Look out the window. Yeah, what is it? Look across the street, in the front seat of that black van that says Big Ray's Inconspicuous Services Service. I mean, that is Big Ray's house there in front of, so... Yeah, but Big Ray retired and sold his Inconspicuous Services business a year ago. Look close. Doesn't it look like someone is in there watching us? Shit, yeah. Those are, those are binoculars. Oh my god, Jake, that's the FBI. What, close, the, close the blinds. What, what if they're, like, listening... What if they're, like, listening in on us or something? Wait, wait, wait. I've got an idea. You know that lead blanket that Grandpa Ernie always brought to the beach because he thought UV rays were X-rays? Yeah, that's why he was always so pale. Well, I know for a fact he keeps it here in the Goldberg Suite closet because behind the cardboard cutout of Whoopi dancing with Patrick Swayze from that movie Sister Act 5, Dances with Nuns. I'll check. Jake, we don't have time to screw around. This is like actual serious... Found it! Come here. Okay. Let's listen to the tapes under this blanket so those agents won't be able to listen it. That's stupid. Get under the blanket, Adam. No, that thing smells like asbestos. Do it, or I'm gonna get naked. You can't threaten to get naked every time I don't want to do something. It's not fair. Get under the blanket. F fine, fine, okay? Fine. Here, give it. Okay, fine. Careful his head. Yes, uh, yes, okay. Jesus. Okay, there. We should be safe under here. Man, I hope Grandpa Ernie's okay wherever he is. Me too. Jake? Yeah? Could you please zip your pants back up? And, uh, play the next tape? Yeah. From the Sherman's March to the Sea Memorial Studios in beautiful downtown Dayton, Ohio, this is The Sound of Liberty, broadcasting freedom-fueled American programming one hour a week behind the Iron Curtain. I'm your host, Jack Taplin. My co-host, Vic Thorpe, is out this week. He's converting to Anglicanism. Often on this program, we talk about the world today. But sometimes we forget that there's a world tomorrow. On this very special episode, The Sound of Liberty will take you to that tomorrow. We spoke to scientists, philosophers, and a horse who can do math, to create a vision of what the world might look like in the year 2002. I'll be gone by then, of course, on account of this childhood infection that never quite went away, but you'll still be here, right, Ernie? I think so. This box of Mike and Ike says if I eat the whole thing, I'll live forever. You will, Ernie. You will. This episode is brought to you by Mike and Ike's. Mike and Ike's. Keeping children alive forever. To think, the year 2002. My little Debbie will be middle-aged by then, and I'm sure she'll be raising a clutch of kids of her own. I hope they're proud young men or women, with auburn hair and a red-hot passion for destroying communism. 
So come with us on a journey through space and time, far, far into the future, as the Sound of Liberty proudly presents a day in the life of the average American man in the year 2002. It's 8 a.m. in Philadelphia. A normal human man named John Ulrich walks out his door and realizes he is on the moon. Oh, I had forgotten I live in the Philadelphia that's on the moon. But this is normal to me, to live on the moon. It is 2002, after all. He kisses his wife goodbye and hops on a passing airship to get to work. The sky is full of airships, so many that they block out the sun. Airships as far as the eye can see and beyond. The motto of the year 2002 is, The air is the new ground. Most of us would read the newspaper on the way to work, but all news ceased to happen in 1997. The New York Times printed its last headline in October of that year. It simply said, That's all the news. After the issue came out, all the newspaper men pushed out to sea on an ice floe. So instead of cracking open a newspaper, John has a nice chat with the fella next to him on the airship, who just came back from a vacation on Mars. Oh yeah, Mars is great if you like your kids floating away every three seconds. The wife spent the whole time complaining about there not being enough oxygen. It's like, sheesh, she's got to be swimming in the stuff or else she turns loopy. Plus, the atmosphere is so thin that it doesn't block out cosmic radiation, so now I'm all lousy with tumors. Like I told my wife, if I wanted to look at a bunch of dust and get pissed off, I'd just empty out her mother's urn. Though he travels only seven miles, the trip takes three hours due to airship traffic and moon dragons. When he arrives, he greets his supervisor, an alien woman named Patricia. That's right. In the year 1986, we make contact with intelligent life from outer space. An endless source of fun is seeing the ways we pronounce things slightly differently than them. For instance, we say marmalade, and they say... Patricia congratulates John on another great year at the company. Like 64% of the world's workforce, they're employees of the Velveeta Corporation. John writes their jingles. He's the brains behind such slogans as... Velveeta, Velveeta, it's most types of food now. And... The Velveeta Corporation's too big to fail, so if you don't eat it, you'll go to jail. On his lunch break, John watches a film reel of this week's big robot fight. It's a historic matchup. Unit 512 versus Unit 78. Jack cheers through mouthfuls of rich Velveeta as Unit 78 delivers a knockout blow. Come on, Unit 78. Vaporize him with your proton ray. Unit 512's human husband tries to leap into the ring to pull him to safety, but he's too late. The referee announces Unit 78's victory and immediately betrothes Unit 512's husband to Unit 78. Such are the ways of the big robot fighting league. In the year 2002, of course, men may marry robots, but robots may never marry each other. The film reel ends with the Pledge of Allegiance, which John recites. I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the United States of America, and to the perfectly processed cheese for which it stands, one nation, under Velveeta, with liberty and Velveeta for all. With all this talk of patriotism, you might wonder, what happened to that nasty old Soviet Union? 
Well, after years of conflict in 1967, American President Frank Sinatra and Soviet Premier Alger Hiss finally decided to settle things once and for all with a nail-biting game of tic-tac-toe. Little did Hiss know, Sinatra had his tic-tac-toe tactics in tow, ready to go toe-to-toe, tic-toe, tac-toe, tic-tic, toe-toe-tac-tic-tac-toe, so, needless to say, the Soviet Union was tic-tac-toast. Of course, the American president is now merely a figurehead. In 2002, the world is governed by the God King, Senator Joe McCarthy, who, having stolen Eisenhower's amulet to give him immortality, rules eternally from his cheese palace in Kenosha, Wisconsin. John lives in peace, as all civilization has for over 35 years. There are no more physical wars. Wars are now fought in the mind. John served for a few years as a mind soldier, where he exterminated bad thoughts from the turret of a flamethrower truck. Some say the mind wars are actually real, that the mind soldiers are actually exterminating aliens on a distant planet, and the government feeds the mind soldiers chemicals to make them think they're asleep. But John knows this isn't true. He trusts the government, and says so. I trust the government. The lunchroom's surveillance box asks him to repeat it more loudly, so his speech patterns can be analyzed for subversiveness. I trust the government. Satisfied that he's a true patriot, the surveillance box administers the antidote and lets John on his way. Everyone in 2002 lives in safety and security, and agrees that there's nothing wrong with the surveillance boxes. It's the end of the day, and John goes to the airship stop to make his way home. But there's been another horrific airship accident, as there are most days. It's too bad those 4,000 people died. At least they're in heaven now. Heaven, Connecticut, where their ashes will fertilize the Velveeta fields. Good thing we have plenty of people now, so we'll never run out. John walks home instead. His loving wife, Grace, is waiting for him. Dinner's ready, but Grace didn't have to lift a finger to make it. Thanks to advances in home technology, Grace doesn't have to do any housework at all. She's free to sit motionless all day. Sometimes she doesn't blink for hours. John likes to look at her and imagine she's made of glass. I love you, glass wife, he says. I love you too, John Husband comes the reply from the housewife voice box. In the year 2002, women needn't even speak. Technology does it for them. John goes upstairs to say goodnight to his kids. He has two children, Ida and Harrison. Ida is six years old, and boy is she a handful. She's a spool of copper wires, and electricity has to be constantly passed through her, or her consciousness will disappear forever. John puts on his thick cotton gloves and pats her goodnight. Harrison is a series of equations represented on ticker tape. John looks at the ticker tape and is proud to see that Harrison is more equations than ever. As John climbs into bed, he's thankful that he lives in the golden age of human civilization. He soon passes off into sleep, and in his dreams he fights the bad thoughts, who seem to have human faces. The Sound of Liberty is brought to you by the Velveeta Cheese Company. Remember to call an American congressman and ask them to support the Velveeta Bill. I know you're not citizens, but it's good practice. I'd say the future sounds pretty swell, wouldn't you, Ernie? Say, Jack, how do you get to the future? By train? By aeroplane? Why, the only way to get to the future is to wait. Oh, so there's a long bus line, then. Sure thing, Ernie. Sure thing. 
Well, that's all the time we have for today. So what have we learned from all this gazing into the future? Well, I think the future is quite a bit like the present, just with more time added in. So what's the big rush in getting there? I like the present just fine. I cherish every moment I have with Tilly and Debbie, and yes, even you, Ernie. I wouldn't mind just staying put for a while. Ah, oh, that's enough from this old bleeding heart. A bleeding heart is just another symptom of that childhood infection that never quite went away. So remember, while your commie cafeteria will only provide you with a heaping helping of pig iron, we'll fill you up with a piping hot, American-sized portion of freedom. I'm Jack Taplin, and this is The Sound of Liberty. Great, another episode no clues and getting out from under the stupid fucking blankets. So great plan, Jake. No clues? Are you kidding me? It's right here in the episode, Adam. Remember, it took place in 2002. 2002. How many numbers are in that? Four. And this is episode three. So four minus three, that's one. One, three, and four. Wait, and, and two. One, two, three, four. Those are the important numbers. What do they add up to? Ten. Ten is how many fingers Grandpa Ernie had before he lost his pinky in that Chinese finger trap. Fingers. 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 Point. Fingers point. Where, where do they point? Away. Grandpa Ernie went away. Am I right or am I right? You're right, Jakes. Uh, you, you figured it all out, so why don't you go get him? Shoot, I, I must have done my math wrong. Oh, okay, 2002, that, that's one year after 2001. Jake, stop. We still have no idea where Grandpa Ernie is. Maybe this whole tape thing is it, just like wasting time. Maybe we should just be working with the, the police or something. I don't know. I'm going to get something. Adam? No! You think the Des Moines police are going to help us keep Grandpa Ernie and these tapes out of the hands of the FBI? They don't even have police cars, Adam. They're always trying to bum rides to crime scenes. I was late to work last week because I had to drop Sergeant Kaminsky off at that crack den on Hartford Street. And he was just there to buy crack. It's just us, Adam. And we need to keep going. There's something on these tapes that'll lead us to Grandpa Ernie. I just know it. I hope so, because if not... We can't think like that, Adam. Hey, look. The big raise van is gone. The lead blanket must have worked. So, score one for Jake. Wait, score one? Wait, one plus 2,000. Okay, 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 I'll start the next tape. Okay, um, uh, call you right back, Mom, love you.